chapter 14. And I want to read the first ten verses. Acts 14. Starting to read at verse 1 through 10. In Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews and Paul and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and Gentiles. But the Jews who disbelieved stood. Therefore, Barnabas and Paul spent a long time there speaking boldly with upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat, to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lystra and Derba and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in him, in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. And this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that the lame man had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. Fabulous story. Hallelujah. Passage over and over again, and having prayed about it as well quite a lot. There are two items in particular that I'd like us to concentrate on. I want to, I want to do it a little bit different to what uh, our leader would do, Richard, and so on, but just a little bit differently. And I, I've chosen two things to speak on, really, which are absolutely vital if we are going to succeed in our Christian lives. In fact, I go so far as to say this, without them, I would maintain that we cannot live the Christian life properly. So it's so important. The two items or subjects are, number one, faith, and number two is living in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize this morning I just do not have time to cover these subjects uh, and, and do them justice. So I'm just going to concentrate what God has laid upon my heart. To start with, uh, I know a lot of people uh, don't know me very well here, but I was born again in the early 70s. And I'd love to tell you a lot about that, but again, I haven't got time. I was born again in the midst of a, a, a charismatic stirring that was going on in the country, where hundreds and, in fact, thousands were getting saved. New churches were being born every week almost. Uh, they were called house churches because people met in their houses as long as they could, well, enough, and so on. And uh, the final piece in the jigsaw of my conversion, came about as I'd been listening to a tape 
by a man called Bryn Jones, which I know some of you have heard of before or known indeed, uh, but he's now gone to be with the Lord. Bryn later became my mentor, and I also had the privilege of working with him for over 23 years. And I'll never forget the first three things he told me as I sat in his office there in Bradford. He said, number one, always a lover of God and don't ever lose your first love. Good advice. Many of my dear friends lost, have lost their first love. So sad. Secondly, always be a faith man. He was a faith man. And thirdly, never try and live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. I've never, forgot, I've never forgotten those three things. Title. Regarding faith, Bryn told me to read every book I could buy on the subject. And I've read hundreds of, well it appears, hundreds of books on faith. And they all pretty much say the same thing, but I didn't know that at the time, and he didn't tell me either, so I got to buy them and read them. And uh, what I got to do was to, having read the book, was to live the life that the book was talking about. And then I got to report back to Bryn once a month on what I'd learned and how my life had changed. So there was no pressure there whatsoever. Uh, Initially, I, I, I often wondered why I had to do this. But I soon began to understand Bryn's reasoning. In the New Testament, the, 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 the well-known chapter on faith is in Hebrews 11. There's a verse there that has challenged me all my Christian life. And I've pondered on it and pondered on it. And it's verse 6 where it says, without faith. It is impossible to please God. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Very challenging. And I could tell you many stories to do with that verse of what, what has happened to me. Well, unfortunately, again, time doesn't permit me on this occasion. So let's just look at faith for a minute. What, what is it? I could take you straight to Hebrews 11 now where there's a fine biblical definition. But I wanted to give you an even simpler version almost. I believe it's having complete trust in and loyalty to God that results in a willingness on our part to do his will. Let me read it again. It's having a complete trust in and loyalty to God that results in a willingness on our part to do his will. Until I was born again, although I'd been brought up in the Methodist church, uh, who, who my fa father was a very devout man, I somehow never seemed to grasp hold of what the Bible was all about, 
for what the Word of God was all about. I can never, ever remember hearing the gospel preached. I'm sure it was, but I wasn't at that age or whatever to understand it. But when I got so, the people all around me that discipled me, it wasn't Bryn at this point in time, people around me taught me that the Bible represented the Word of God. And uh, whatever I read, I needed to put into operation. That was the general thrust of the thing. Faith isn't something we use to put on a show for others. It is complete and humble obedience to God's will. A readiness to do whatever and whenever he calls us. And the the amount of faith is not so important. It's having the right kind of faith. We have faith in all sorts of things. We have faith that when we go to the light switch, on the light will come on. But the right kind of faith is having faith in our all-powerful God. A mustard seed is small. It's almost invisible, but the seed begins to grow and develop, first under, under the ground and then above. And faith is like a tiny mustard seed. A small amount of genuine faith in God will take root and grow And although each change will be gradual and imperceptible, soon this faith will produce results that will uproot and destroy competing loyalties. We don't need more faith. We only need a tiny seed of faith if it's alive and growing. Faith has to permeate every part of our Christian lives, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. If we merely do something from a sense of obligation, or if it's the expected thing to do, then we perform a dead action. You can't switch faith on like you do the light switch. Judaism in the time of Christ was basically a religion that was filled with activity, but it was devoid of faith and love. It was faith and love operating through Jesus that so frequently brought him into conflict with the Pharisees and scribes of his time. I mention this primarily because there are many things Many things which begin as an expression of life in the Christian faith. But then become empty and sterile traditions. One, worship. Our expressions of worship in some cases have now become forms of lip service. Empty of the spirit of worship. But worship is very similar to faith. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not singing songs and saying prayers. They may be part of worship, a small part, I'd like to say. But worship is a lifestyle. It's to do with the way you think. It's to do with the way you speak. It's to do 
with the way you act. So we have to look at ourselves when, if we're only giving lip service to things, we have to look at ourselves and ask, how did that happen? The spread of Christianity in the first century following Pentecost was not due to it being a superior religious ethic. It was essentially the triumph of a people's faith. It was a conviction by which they proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a present reality that brought them into conflict with the religious leaders of their day. And whatever actions were taken by the authorities to stop them proclaiming their faith, it was of no use. The power of God was working with their faith to turn vast multitudes to the Lord. In fact, it says in Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. And just as faith was the key to the advance of the gospel in the first generation of Christianity, so it is today. It hasn't changed. Today, it's still the key to advancing the kingdom in our generation. We we, we have to demonstrate that in reality. In everything we do. I don't know whether you, you, you know what's written on these notice boards. I've, I've been around them all. I'm so pleased uh, Christine and others put these up each week. There's a... Let me read to you what we are saying. We, hello, what we are saying on that notice board. We believe that God would demonstrate his grace and mercy through divine acts of uh, supernatural intervention. We want to create an environment of faith so that the gospel is confirmed with signs following. Wow, that would be good, wouldn't it? Mumble, mumble, mumble. It would be good. Believe me, it would really, really be good with signs following. Faith is an attitude with which we receive the word of God into our hearts. Faith responds readily by actions in keeping with what God says. In speaking Israel's rejection of God's word that would have enabled them to enter the land of promise, The book of Hebrews warns us not to us. We should be careful to adopt a different attitude. Faith is never passive. In James 2 it says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. If I were to say to you, how many of you have faith here this morning? I think you handle. But it's only faith when it's worked through as faith, rather than just talking about it. The action of faith is conditioned by three things. One, what God has said. Two, our obedience to what God has said. And three, 
continuing in faith to God on what he has said. Knowing what God has said, obeying what God has said by doing it, and continuing to act in faith will guarantee our reward accordingly. My favorite verse in the Bible, or I keep saying that, but it's one of them really, but I, I like to think it's my favorite verse, is in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's all I have time for on faith this morning. Now I'm going to go to the second issue. And that was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit operating through us. We heard a few weeks ago the disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem and they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. We're not to move without this power. From these comments, we can make three observations. They didn't have the power already. Secondly, they were not to move without it. And thirdly, it was to be a unique and life-changing experience. How many of you truly know that the Holy Spirit is the power in our new born-again life? It's not you, and it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit offering. In our reading, Barnabas and Paul, who were being obedient to God's word by in being witnesses and filled with the Spirit, were taking the word to every place that God laid upon their heart, with signs and wonders following it. So it's a, I love that bit. You may never have Can you hear me? Oh, God, I keep talking this. I'm sorry, I'm not doing this for... What am I doing here? How did, how did Jesus go on when he didn't have one? Thank you. It's very kind of you. Barnabas and Paul. I love that bit where it it talks about Paul looking at the lame man and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. That's incredible, isn't it? That was the gift of the Spirit that Paul was operating at. He, He was perceiving as he looked at this man that he could be healed. So he just said to him, stand up. And he stood up. Never done it before in his life. Wow, incredible. Living in New Testament times to bear the name Christian was very dangerous. Christians were expected to produce the goods in keeping with the label, not only by living right, but by performing miracles, signs, and wonders. Jesus had already said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. That's quite a statement for Jesus to make. It's all too easy in today's society, I believe, to wear the label Christian because the term itself has become so vague. Many people expect very little of those who wear the badge. When Barbara and I were living in Leicester and involved in the church there at Leicester, we were having an elders meeting and one of my colleague elders 
was telling a story about something else, but he got on about his daughter, who was about seven years of age, and she was part of the Brownies. And um, she'd gone home one week from the Brownies, and had said to mum and dad, do you mind if I wash up in the morning, after breakfast, after lunch if I'm home, and, and after tea as well, I'm dry all the pots away? And mum and dad looked at one another in amazement and, and, and wondered what on earth had happened at the Brownie Park, at the meeting she'd been to. But she went on to explain that if she did that for a period of time, which I think was a week, seven days, and mum and dad would then give her a letter to take to the Brownie Park leader, who would see that she'd done what she was told to do, she could sew on the arm. So she duly went about this task and did it, and no problems whatsoever. They thought she'd pack in after half a day or something like that. But she went in this... And then shortly after, she came back and she said, I've got... Look, I've got my brownie badge. And the elder that was telling the story, he said, the funny thing is this. She's never washed up since. <laughs> Spirit badge. I can just hear Paul, the Apostle Paul, saying, So what? If you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. That's what he said. It's all right to say we've got the badge, but we've got to walk by the badge. I've met many Christians who are afraid of sharing their faith because if they did, their lives would come under greater scrutiny. But not to share your faith is to deny the anointing that God has already given to enable you to live right. Listen to what Ephesians 3 in the Amplified Bible says. To him who by the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly far above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, desires, thoughts, or dreams. When we are baptized in the Spirit, we're anointed to do, we're anointed to be. Everything the word tells us we are. It says in 2 Peter 1.3, is divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Not some things, not a few things, but everything. We're called to reign in life. Don't miss out. It's amazing to me how many people misquote Bible verses, verses and conveniently leave out the most crucial parts <laughs> that speak of our personal responsibility. For example, Romans 12.2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. <laughs> Sounds tremendous. It is tremendous. But it's no use unless you quote the first part of what Romans 12.2 is saying. And it says this, do not conform 
any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, that, that's the most important, vital part of that verse. Because it gives the key to being transformed. If you're going to be transformed through a renewal of your mind, it will only come through a refusal to conform any longer to those wrong thought patterns. And the decision to conform or not rests with you. Three keys to releasing the anointing. Number one, availability. Someone once said, God doesn't need ability. He's got plenty of that. But what he does need is availability. There's no such thing as a work shortage in the kingdom of God. But there is a worker shortage. And throughout scripture we find examples of how God is thrilled when he finds someone who is with a willing heart to respond. Someone like David, Samuel, Paul, Peter, and not least of all, of course, Jesus himself. Availability. Number two, possibility thinking. While our hearts may respond readily to God's great challenges and provocations, our minds struggle to comprehend or even entertain them. And in that sense, the mind can harbor strongholds against our belief. We should be constantly growing in our personal measure of faith. But that must not come, become the measuring stick by which we decide what we can or we can't do at present. Paul said these words. I remember asking my elder when I was just born again what these words meant. He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I went to him and I said, what does that mean? (laughs) And he just looked at me as if I was simple, which probably I was. He said, it means exactly what it says. You can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. I won't tell you what I then went and did. And it didn't work. But however, that's another story. Stop limiting God by your personal faith measure. Assault and tear down those strongholds with the word of God. And thirdly, obedience of faith. We'll come back to faith. A motto for all Christians could be the words of Mary to the servants at the wedding feast in Cana. Do whatever he tells you. Obedience was the key to the fruitfulness of Jesus' own life and ministry and many others down the ages of time. And the key to these people obeying God is found. Where? Hebrews 11. It was by faith. Finally, be continually filled. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I'm sure we all do that, but perhaps we don't. Perhaps we should start. That's what the Bible says. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. I'm sure we all do that. But it won't 
it would be a good idea to start if we don't. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another. Uh Uh-oh. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a general commandment to all believers. And the tense of the Greek verb, be filled, indicates not merely a single momentary experience, but a continual condition. So we're commanded to be continually filled with, or full of, the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and at all times, is by continually drinking in the Spirit. It's not good enough just to believe in the doctrine of being filled continually or just getting a top-up every now and then. We've got to learn to drink continually of the life of God within us. I've heard Richard speak from here, uh, from this pulpit, many times in the two years that we've been coming here. Perhaps it's not quite two years yet, but anyway. How... We need to be taking life. We need to be taking the Christian life to Beverly. We need to win over people in Beverly. We need to do this in Beverly. So forth. It's all to do with establishing the kingdom of God. Therefore, it seems to me that we need to be filled constantly with the Spirit. And when we are, that's to be empty of much else that the devil would like to fill us with. Allow that spring of life to become an overflowing river. God wants it to flow from you and to touch other people's lives. I'm going to leave it there. I want to do something, not for the sake of doing it. I so believe in God that gave me Acts 14. Natalie, will you come out and just play that thing that you do? Oh, guitar, that's it. I want to just, whilst Natalie's playing, I'd like us just to be quiet and to meditate just briefly one or two things I've said this morning I know you won't remember everything, I know that but I believe this is so so important I believe we give lip service to a lot of things Taught by television and the newspapers and magazines and this and that and the other. These are the things that enter our heads. I remember 
inviting a ministerial from Africa who worked in South Africa. We went over to minister over there. We had plenty of time to be with this guy. And I said, you seem to to see an awful lot of healings. And he said, yes, we do. I said, we don't seem to see as many as we used to. Well, he said, you don't need to. He said, because it's preached, that it's, it's preached not by the word, but it's preached. Doctors, and you've got this, and you've got that. You don't need it. Well, I maintain that we do. And therefore, to live our lives by faith is absolutely vital. Because we're living our life as... And another thing I did say this morning was that you can't live that life unless you follow the power of the Holy Spirit. And I feel there's enough there to meditate on for quite a while. But I want a miracle to happen this morning. For a moment or two, brought mind some of the things that have been spoken about. If you really want to move, if you really want to like this, if you want to be full of the, just to stand up, I'm going to have to come. I'm not going to make appeal after appeal after appeal. But I am expecting God to work a miracle. I know God's answered my prayer. We don't often have, it seems to me, we don't often have appeals like this. Not saying should do, but we don't often have. And I'm saying this is an opportunity. What? I've got nothing to want to be used by God but that's what we're here for that's what we got born again for and that's why we should be filled and that's why we should live by faith so as Natalie is just playing a song for us to sing in a moment or two. But before we do that, just let's just be quiet again. I'm going to shut up now. And if you want to respond to that, I want you just to stamp to your feet. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. So, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, 
come before you we come before you perhaps again as we've done before perhaps for the first time but we come before you to respond to your word Father I want to pray for these dear people here that Lord your word would be alive in them I pray as they read the word that it would come alive I pray Lord that as they do what you ask them to do that they would see the returns Lord of those labors Lord, we love you. You know we love you. And we want just, Lord, to do everything we can to put that worship into practice. And right now, Lord, not only about your word, but also think about your spirit, your Holy Spirit. Oh God, that you would touch again or have never been touched Lord would touch them and again I pray that truly Lord the work that goes on in this place in your name would be alive not parts of it but all of it Lord truly would see the healings again where the blind can see and the deaf can hear cripples can walk Lord let it be I pray touch them by your spirit Lord let that that power come from heaven upon them Lord I pray that as we are obedient to all that you command us to do, Lord, that your name would be blessed and that you would truly be glorified. I say thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand now together.